Hello! Welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we delve too greedily and too deep into the world of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Aaron. And I'm Clara. And we are the drums in the deep that will guide you on this journey. Boom, boom. Doom, boom. Doom, doom. Boom, doom. Doom, boom. Boom, doom. I'm just going to do this quietly under our whole recording today. Please do not. Boom, doom. <laughs> doom, boom. This I can't do that. This episode is just ASMR for one incredibly strange person. <laughs> There's someone out there. Uh, so we are still deep in the minds of Moria. In fact, we're going to go deeper today. Yep. Before we come out on the other side, a lot happens. Uh, I'm excited to get into it. I think we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, Aaron's been talking about this episode. Not all week, but like, you told me the other day we'd have a lot to talk about. And yeah. you're, yeah, you're, uh, he's got a little smile on his face. He's ready. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm back on Team Tolkien. Uh. Yeah, after really taking a, <laughs> crap on him last time look I'm a I speak truth to power fickle creature I am that is very much true uh, but I do appreciate these last few chapters uh, feels like we're a little more focused we have a journey we have a destination we have, I don't know there's just more going on here that seems more bound together narratively I like that it's so, you know Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I think we should just jump right in. I don't know about you. Let's jump right into the chasm. Right in yeah, so we read the Bridge of Khazad-dum and uh, Lothlorien, Lothlorien oh. the, uh, for this week. <laughs> do you need to do some oh, allocution? allocution? Uh, exercises? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Thank you. Proceed. Uh, should I do the plot summary? Do the plot summary, Aaron. Plot summarize away. So when we last left off, they realize that they're in Balin's tomb. Balin is dead. His expedition has failed. Uh, Moria is still very much in the hands of the orcs. Um, and also Durin's Bane, which we don't know what it is yet, but we're going to find out. That's right. Uh, so they find out a little bit more about what happened to the dwarves. Gandalf reads from a pretty tattered book. We learn about the whole, well, we learn as much as we can about the whole sort of sordid tale of, of Balin's last days. And then, of course, suddenly we have the drums in the deep. Uh, we have the pitter-patter of many feet. And the Fellowship realizes that they are very much facing the exact same fate that Balin did. Yep. The orcs are out there. There's also something scarier out there as well. Yep. They bar the door. Uh, they make a pretty hasty escape. Frodo appears to die to everyone else around when he gets what what should be run through with the giant lance. Uh, but he survives. But there's no time to reveal why he survived. Um, Gandalf tells them all that there's something, some power he's encountered that he's never encountered before or hasn't yes. encountered in a very long time. It's very distressing to him. Uh, he says he barely was able to keep it at bay. Um, and he also, interestingly enough, expresses the hope that it's buried with Balin. But it does not, as we learn. 
soon yep. thereafter. The big event, of course, is Gandalf's, what we think anyway, is his final stand at the bridge. Right. Um, so he discovers that it is a Balrog, uh, and he's yeah very much horrified by this discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows what he it is that he's facing. I think some of the Fellowship have like a vague notion of what a Balrog is, but Gandalf of them all seems to understand most what the danger of this creature is. Um, and he sacrifices himself. <laughs> Clara is covering her mouth and laughing, and I'm not sure why. I'm so sorry. I'm like looking up. I'm just like Googling the Balrog. And I <laughs> I have to send you this. <laughs> I gotta send you this picture. Go ahead. I'll continue with the summary. Yeah, keep going. So Gandalf seems to be the one who knows most of all what the danger of this creature is. Um, he goes out on the bridge. So this is famous, you know, famous lines, you shall not pass. The bridge, he breaks the bridge, the Balrog falls, but he is pulled down with it. Um, and Aragorn forces the others to escape because they're all kind of a Frodo like freezes, um, tries to go back, uh, but they pull him out. Um, and they leave Moria finally. They're outside. There's some crying, understandably, some sadness, but Aragorn's like, we gotta keep moving. Um, and that's when they head to Lothlorien. Uh, they enter the forest. Legolas gets to tell a little bit about the elves, the wood elves. Um, they bathe in a stream that washes away their cares. Um, and they find themselves captured by, well, not really captured, but kind of captured by uh, wood elves uh, from Lothlorien who blindfold them all. There's a big stink about that whole thing, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about. Um and we don't quite meet Galadriel. Well, do we meet Galadriel in this section? I read ahead. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we do not meet them yet, but we're, we're on our way there. Um, so mm-hmm. all they know right now is that they're on their way to the basically to the heart of the forest at this point. Um, and that's sort of where it ends. So, you know, we're about to meet them, but we don't know who they are just yet. Good job, Aaron. That was a great summary. Clara's tired, so I can't tell if she's genuine or being sarcastic i'm I'm being a supportive (laughs) podcast host okay so i can't just send you the picture for some reason well let me copy the image um Mm -hmm. i think you can share your screen it's probably copyrighted i i will i will share my screen (laughs) this will be great for this famously non-visual medium (laughs) can you see it uh, it's like loading for me. Oh my god! Why does it look like that? I don't know. It looks like a fish stick with bat wings. Yeah, or like a like it has a shrimp tail. Oh, is that one? Okay, I can't really tell. I mean, I, you can't tell. It doesn't have yeah. legs, but it like ends in some sort of trunk like appendage. The top looks like a demon with a yeah, lion's with head. A lion mane. And then it has big wings. wings. But like regular human arms, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, man. Reader, maybe we'll maybe we'll share this for you because it's really funny. Yeah, can you email me that? Yeah. Okay. I might might be able to use that for something. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, a lot of action in this section. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff, though, just in general about 
both the elves and the dwarves that we get here. Um, and the, what I was first kind of struck by, um, and I know you saw the notes, uh, is the role of greed, mm-hmm. particularly in the in the Cause of Doom chapter, but also during the dark. Um, because greed is really responsible for everything that happens in these two chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, both the greed of Saruman, which we talked about last time, or two mm-hmm. times ago. Mm-hmm. Remember, um, his greed for knowledge, his greed for the ring, and then of course also the dwarves, right? Moria's entire existence contemporary to this chapter is because of greed. Mm-hmm. So I wondered if you had any thoughts about, um, I have some, but I wondered if you had any thoughts too about the greed of uh, the dwarves and the greed of Saruman, how they're being kind of, I don't know, are they being linked here in any way? You see them as similar? Is the desire for riches similar to the desire for knowledge in this section, or is it different? And if so, mm, I think at its root, it's not different mm-hmm. because it's both times leads to some. I mean, it's it's a, the it's a means to a bad end, or a you mm-hmm. know, you're you're gonna end poorly no matter how you're greedy yeah however with saruman it seems to be sort of this internal rot that happens when he gets too greedy for knowledge right it's like he's corrupted and becomes bad durin we don't know enough about durin to say whether like he became corrupted by his own greed, but like the final outcome was very external, right? The mm-hmm. Balrog came and killed him. <laughs> <laughs> A very, very literal manifestation of the perils of greed. Yeah. Does that make sense? So like yeah. Sauron's kind of there's like no at this point anyway he's not dealing with any sort of awakened monster because of his own greed, but maybe he is the monster because of his own greed. Whereas like Durin was just bad because he was greedy. Probably we can assume, Mm -hmm. but the kind of outcome of that isn't that he was necessarily a bad guy. It was that something bad came in, you know, yeeted him or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, did. he, he got yeeted <laughs> by a Balrog. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I agree with that distinction. Um, because, right, there's a difference in the. We don't get the sense that Durin's corruption is the same. He's corrupted by, you know, the desire for, for Mithril. Right, Mithril's the thing. Right. Um, driving all of this. Because we have a moment where Sam asks Gandalf, he says, like, why do the dwarves want to come back here? So Mm -hmm. this is when they're walking. This is actually from what we heard last time. But Mm -hmm. they're walking into, you know, what's left of Moria. It's abandoned. It looks pretty rough. They already encountered the crack in at the door. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a place you think you want to be, right? So Sam's question uh, makes a lot of sense. And Gandalf answers, he says, for Mithril... The wealth of Moria was not in gold and jewels, the toys of the dwarves, nor in iron, their servant. Such things are found here, it is true, especially iron. 
but they did not need to delve for them. All things they desired, could they could obtain in traffic. For here alone was found Moria silver, or true silver as some have called it. Mithril is the elvish name. The dwarves have a name which they do not tell. It is worth ten times. Its worth is ten times that of gold, and now it is beyond price. For little is left above ground, and even the orcs dare not delve here for it. Although we know that Sauron also covets Mithril. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting that the message. interesting that yeah <laughs> that the dwarves don't speak its name. Yeah, I know. I yeah, guess it's like sacred, it. like Yahweh, yes. right? Yeah, because right, it comes up a, a little bit later, like two sentences later. Gandalf says again, he says the dwarves tell no tale, but Mithril was the foundation of their wealth, and so it was also their destruction. And then, of course, they delve too greedily and too deep oh. and disturbed that from which they fled. Uh, but right, so it's it's so right, it's so priceless that yeah, they don't even talk about it. Right, they, they don't, don't want anyone else to find it. It's right, a secret. Yeah, it's a secret um, to their status too yeah they're greedy greedy yeah, for so them. it's really yeah it is really interesting though that, um you, that right that it's this kind of secret that's not a secret mm-hmm. that is desired by everybody else but the doors kind of keep it a secret too right um and of course mithril is an elven name for it mm-hmm. uh, from the cinderin is this like mean to say that it's like i'm thinking more about sauron and the dwarves mm-hmm. Like the <laughs> the greed of Sauron is like the greed of the wise, and the greed of the dwarves is like the greed of the kind of banal or like the stupid, right? Like, mm-hmm. right? They're covetous of something physical, whereas Sauron is right, covet like you know, coveting the ring, which is a physical mm-hmm. thing, but right, he's also like coveting all this knowledge about it, and it's mm-hmm. like the way those different. I guess, yeah. like... <laughs> Although there's kind of a way in which Mithril is the knowledge of the dwarves. If that makes sense. Like sure. knowledge. Maybe. Right, but, but, are they gr- saying. but are they greedy about that? Or are they just, like, greedy about having it? Because to me, it seems like they just want it. And, like, the and then the knowledge is secondary to that. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I guess, right. It's hard to kind of separate the two in some ways, though, right? Is it? Well, because they're not just hoarding it. They're, like, using it to make things. Sure, but then what do they do with those? Like, they're... they're... I mean, Frodo has his little mithril Mm -hmm. shirt, but, like, Mm -hmm. what else are they doing with the mithril? We don't know. Right? We don't really know that. Are they selling it or are they keeping it for themselves? Because I think that mm-hmm. is kind of. Yeah. I think it I think I think if we knew that we could say we could answer your question about if they are mm-hmm. the same thing or not. I think if they're keeping it for themselves, mm-hmm. then it's. Then right, the argument kind of sways my way. And if they're mm-hmm. selling it, then it sways your way mm-hmm. yeah i don't know do we know i mean i don't i would assume they were selling it right they would have had to make so. money and then like how money. you know frodo got his little shirt from the dwarves 
or well, Frodo got it, you know, Bilbo got it from the dwarves in The Hobbit. Right, right. So we know that that is, but uh, interestingly, according at least to Tolkien Gateway, the helmets of the guards of the Citadel of Minas Tirith are perhaps made of Mithril. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the Star of Elendil. Sure. And the second star, apparently also. Um, so there's like a few items that it lists on here, but yeah, it's, it's not a ton of things. So we don't really know. Um, it seems to be like a, sta- I guess my, yeah, it's unclear from what Gandalf says. Like all he says is the foundation of their wealth. So whether it's, yeah, being hoarded or right. sold, isn't necessarily clear, but it is interesting that it's right. This kind of, uh, yeah, it's power that comes from a different source, I guess, right? The ring is the power of, I guess, knowledge, but mm-hmm. um, it's also a channel for Sauron's will, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas well, the, the, the ring is like the power of control, right? Mm-hmm. Like And like control of groups of people by exertion of the will of a powerful person. Right. Mithril is like the power of capital, right? Like the power, like right, like <laughs> scarcity. Yeah, yeah. They have this very finite, difficult to get, beautiful, coveted resource, mm-hmm. which gives the dwarves a certain amount of power. Right. The power so, of things. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is important to, to the dwarves too, because when, when Gandalf's reading from that book that's being kept as you know Balin's journeying farther in and then mm-hmm. of course meeting his end like half the text is talking about their destruction but the other part of it like the words that Gandalf makes out are all related to material things mm-hmm. like gold artifacts like Durin's axe is mentioned um, and then of course there's this revelation that they found true silver <laughs> um, so it's funny that like the words that come up in this that are still legible are either them being like, we're screwed because there's a Balrog outside mm-hmm. or uh, look at all this, the sweet treats we found. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this way, right. In which, you know, these things are being not so subtly. Right. And as, and does Balin know that there's like, I never understood. Like when he says right. we found true silver, is he like, Oh, surprise, we found it. Or does he know? And he's like, just saying we found it. Cause I think that's interesting mm-hmm. too. In terms of like talking about kind of like keeping the knowledge of Mithril with the dwarves, if like other dwarves don't even know that that's right. what was in Moria, mm-hmm. but Gandalf somehow knows, but he kind of knows everything, right? And he's been there before, right? The other thing, but yeah, I don't know. I read it as they knew it was there, but and I they found it. They found it without having to dig further for mm-hmm. it. I think that's the the message here is that they've apparently they found like a storeroom of it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, because elsewhere, I don't know if it's Gandalf says right that it's, it's too deep in the mines, like for anyone to go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I read it as they just happened to find some somewhere and they were excited about it because it meant that they didn't have to. <laughs> Right, they didn't have to work for it. it. Yeah, that they, you know, that there is some still there. Um, that's not down in the, down the fiery pit or whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, which actually isn't fiery at this point, but not yet. But it will be. Uh, but it is interesting too that like Moria's meaning is black chasm, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, or also Black Void, depending on. Yeah, it's not like a friendly place. No, like the name is so, you know, again, Sam, <laughs> Sam is right to ask, you know, why are the dwarves going back here? Yeah. Um, and who named it? What is Moria? Like, who? What is that? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I don't know. It's I mean, it's Cinderin, but okay. uh, do we know who named it? I don't. I'm wondering if it's uh, an elven. The elven's the elves named it that mm-hmm. uh, because we in the next chapter we legolas mentions that they are aware of what the dwarves had dug up yes in the mines mm-hmm. um, so i don't know that's that's a good question i don't have the answer for that but yeah maybe maybe we can talk about the balrog now <laughs> <laughs> the price you pay for wealth yeah. um, and you i mean you had some questions about it i literally have one uh-huh. Do you want me to ask you my question? <laughs> yes. <laughs> why? Why is the Balrog not friends with Sauron? <laughs> I'm confused, and I need help. <laughs> I don't understand this. Like, right. why? You know, maybe I'm just being again, like, right again, right. So this is one of those places where having read the Silmarillion, I think makes this more confusing because if you don't know, you're just like, okay, well, this is just a bad guy. I mean, you know, you can kind of just write it off as that. This is like a bad, a bad guy or girl or truly it, it, they, I don't know that it has pronouns. (laughs) Um, I, it's, we're going to say bad guy. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so, but when you learn from the Silmarillion that the Balrogs are this, you know, construction of Melkor, the Maiar that he corrupted, um, and that uh, Sauron himself is really just a Balrog, then, like, why is this Balrog not aware of and friends with Sauron? And if Sauron, they talk about earlier in this book, like he's drawing all evil to him. Like, why is the Balrog not mm-hmm. being drawn to Mordor? Or is Sauron very content leaving him in Moria because yeah. he knows that he he basically like cuts? Um, like we'll talk about this later, but like he cuts mm-hmm. the elves in Lothlorien off from, you know, Rivendell and the whole kind of west portion of middle earth yeah. <laughs> anyway i'm confused why they aren't friends or at least why they don't know of each other right. um because there should be that connection mm-hmm. right and i mean the orcs like they know it, it's there i don't know if they know what it is exactly yeah and they don't really just, like it right if gandalf overhears them saying the word fire mm-hmm. um so it's not parent that they know exactly what the creature is mm-hmm. but they're afraid of it mm-hmm. clearly um and right yeah i don't it i think maybe your point about it existing there to cut off the elves makes the most sense or, yeah, right or at least like now, staying like, there yeah like in other words why is yeah why is sauron let it exist there is for that reason because otherwise right. it seems counter to his interest because we are told sauron wants mithril right and like powerful evil creatures 
but it's he kind of serves the same purpose i guess thinking of it now as shelob right like sauron Uh, is pretty content to let shelob live in kirith's uncle because he knows that shelob presents a better security system for anyone trying to get into mordor than he could same thing kind of with the balrog in moria right they have to go up over the Dimroll stair otherwise, and that's very dangerous mm-hmm. and much more time-consuming than going yeah. under it. Shelob here with Simply Safe. <laughs> Are you afraid of intruders in your home? That's right. Um, Anytime an intruder walks in, a giant spider <laughs> just drops down on top of be, them. Keep me out of strangers' yeah. homes, I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, I, but I think I look forward to talking about Shelob too. We well, yeah, let's not get yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But I think you're correct in linking these two because they're both also older evils than mm-hmm. the other evil that Sauron mm-hmm. is pointing to him. Yeah, because so far we just see cave trolls and orcs, and I guess right. the nine, the nine, obviously, they're the ones sort of right. But even the nine aren't as ancient. No. Right. This, and the and the Balrog has a will right of his own. The nine don't really yeah. right. The nine the like, right the Balrog and Shelob really exist independently from Sauron, whereas the nine are part of yep. his like will at this point. They're just right. slaves to whatever he wants them to do. Whereas, I mean, it, I have a feeling if this Balrog were like fuck Sauron, I want to be in charge. Yeah. Like he could give him a run for his money. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what part, I mean, maybe that's probably why Sauron wants the ring, too, right? Is that he can exert his will more effectively over these other creatures mm-hmm. that he maybe can't really control, mm-hmm. but is content to leave alone for now. Yeah. Become ungovernable. Be mm-hmm. a Balrog. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we know Shelob is, right? Yeah, Shelob is. Shelob is that. like her mama, you know. Shelob is that seagull drinking out of the dog bowl. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think it's it's partly that his will maybe isn't strong enough yet. Yeah. Similar the way he can't break into Rivendell and Lothlorien. Mm-hmm. These other two very ancient places that mm-hmm. are limits to his ability without the ring um, to exert his full force over them. Right, because and the Balrog. Again, this doesn't really explain why he's not friends with Sauron, but I do think we kind of answered that question, even if he mm-hmm. was. I think Sauron's just content to whether the Balrog is aware of Sauron or not. I, who even knows? And if Sauron is aware of the Balrog, which I would kind of assume he is, because he yeah. sort of knows what's going yeah. on in the wide world, I think Sauron's just content to let him hang out. Um, but the Balrog really doesn't seem like he cares much about the ring right like we've seen there's even like the mention that you know the kraken or whatever mm-hmm. you know goes after frodo first um like things are kind of evil things are kind of drawn to frodo and it's to me the balrog doesn't seem like that's like his i don't know he just doesn't seem to care so much about it no, he's he more seems more like he's in interested Gandalf. in Gandalf. Yeah. yeah. Because there's, there are these oppositional 
Right. And they have that battle of wills, which is very cool. Like not as much, probably more magic than we've seen. Yeah. I mean, we don't even see it. It kind of happens off stage. Again, I think that's maybe a where Tolkien's writing ability sort of failed him. So he's like, well, we're just going to have this happen and then Gandalf will tell us about it. Later, yeah. Right, but he like puts Gandalf puts a spell on the door and 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 it but it's interesting to understand the way magic works in this world because we don't really see a lot of it, so it's hard to understand. I think this is maybe one of the only instances where it's like it seems like magic is very connected to right like a person's force of will yeah um so like gandalf wills the door shut but then the balrog's will overpowers gandalf and breaks his spell so it is yeah it's very much like exerting your mind power over the other person right it just raises interesting questions about the balrog as sort of a conscious being mm-hmm. instead of just a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it is a fallen Maiar, uh, it apparently still has enough of those qualities to it that it can go toe to toe with Gandalf. And even the suggestion is that Gandalf's not powerful enough. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, it. yeah. Um, although of course later we learn. He is, is, but, but... <laughs> um, and yeah, Tolkien has well, a letter about the Balrog fight, um, where he says that it's Gandalf's sacrifice is a way of atoning for the failing of wizards in the world, mm-hmm. um, especially Saruman. But mm-hmm. that this sort of becomes a way of redeeming wizards. So it is kind of this like Christ, Christ moment, right of going, you know, facing. Facing death, facing mm-hmm. evil, as a way to redeem the world, or in this case, wizards. Right. And I even think that like the his kind of the fact because you don't, it's like hard to think of it as sacrifice as much in the book because you know he smites, smites, smotes. I don't know. He breaks yeah. the bridge, <laughs> uh, and then the Balrog falls, and then the whip comes up and gets him around the ankle and pulls him down and he just kind of is like scrambling and then like falls. But I think in the actually the movie I'm thinking of the way that this was like filmed. Yeah. And there's that pause when Gandalf's kind of on the edge and he's holding on and like presumably could maybe pull himself up but then let's go. And I think that that's sort of like Yeah. You know, it doesn't in the book you don't have so much of an indication that this was a sacrifice. It more seems that it was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tolkien uses that word in the letter. Otherwise, yeah, I would not have. Yeah, I don't. I I don't read it as very sacrificial. Other than the fact that he's like, I have to fight this thing. You mm-hmm. can't. But even then, it's like, well, duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who else <Yeah>. would? <laughs> it's just yeah. So I mean, there's all these references, and it does feel very much like a a battle of good and evil. Hmm. Um, Gandalf refers to it as devilry at one point. Mm-hmm. We're constantly told about this like growing fire visible mm-hmm. from deep underground. And of course the Balrog emerges from it, so it is very much this kind of um, creature of yeah, the inferno. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he and it doesn't emerge until they're at the deepest 
they like go down right they have i mean he he appears when they're at like the upper levels but he doesn't actually like we don't we the reader and the the you know everyone but gandalf doesn't actually like see the balrog until they're like down at these low levels can you imagine they're like going down these stairs in the dark yeah i was just thinking about that that sounds terrible (laughs) There's no, yeah, and they're intentionally treacherous as a defensive uh-huh. mechanism. Like everything, mm-hmm. in here, nothing in here is OSHA compliant. No, there's no, no railings. railings. Uh, all the bridges are really narrow, so that if someone were to attack this place, they could just be picked off on these narrow stairs by archers. Um, right, it's pitch black as we talked about last time for most of this, uh, and they're kind of guiding themselves by airflow half the time yes and like feeling along like a wall so not only that but then suddenly you have this like orange glow coming from beneath you right uh, which would also be unsettling for a lot of different reasons um so yeah i don't know i i think the Balrog and sauron have a lot in common i think they could be very good friends if they wanted to yeah but the Balrog's independent, and I appreciate that. <laughs> also, Kaza Doom is just the dwarf's name for Moria, in case anyone was curious. Like they that's what they called it before Durin died. Right. Right. So it wasn't named the Black Pit to be <laughs> to <laughs> so begin that's with. the owl suit, presumably. Yeah. Which is interesting because the elves have never been in there. <laughs> No, but they've apparently gotten rumors of it, and Lothlorien, uh-huh. it's it seems at some point evil came out of the mines. Mm-hmm. Evil came out of the mines at one point or another, and the elves had to push it back. Um, but right, it, they don't go in there. Uh, for some reason, Aragorn went in once, but we don't know why. Yep. Um, and Gandalf went in, and we kind of know why, but not a whole lot about it. Um, Gandalf? Yeah, he went in looking for one of the Dwarven kings. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And literally, we know nothing about why Aragorn was there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He's just looking for a good time, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Just looking for an adventure. Set out on a highway. That's right. But this Balrog has been hanging out in here for centuries. Yes. The price of the greed of the dwarves. Mm -hmm. Now, do we think the Balrog came out of this pit that the bridge goes over. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Like, where did it? You know, I'm like thinking just about way down wherever they got to. It yeah, like they were digging and digging, and they, I don't know, they like opened up a chamber, and this thing just came out. Yeah, in the so mines. Like, mm-hmm. In the mines, <laughs> the mines. where a million Balrogs shine. shine. <laughs> uh, this actually brings me to a. Somewhat crazy theory I have about Go ahead. Please share. Mines. Are you interested? It's about Snow White. <laughs> no, but it has to do with Shining Minds uh, in some ways. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So my crazy theory about Mithril is that um, it sort of has a similar place in this story as Uranium does in our world. Do you know what color Uranium is? Is it Glow? No, that's so, radiant. Uh, that's yeah, radiant. Yeah, radiant glows. glows. Correct. Yeah. 
Um, uranium is also silvery white. Okay. Um, and I don't ask me questions. You know, I know don't know the answer to. I'm I not. I'm not a chemist. I didn't know it was that either until I looked it up today. So. <laughs> um, and Mithra, of course, you're talking about the Sindarin word for gray and brilliance mixed together. Gray, light gray, and brilliance. Um, Silvery white, bright. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking about this because Tolkien actually talks about the A bomb a couple points in his letters. Interesting. Okay. Um, so in August of 1945, like right after the the A bombs are dropped, he writes to his son. Christopher, and he says, uh, The news today about atomic bombs is so horrifying, one is stunned. The utter folly of these lunatic phys- physicists to consent to do such work for war purposes, calmly plying the destruction of the world. Such explosives in men's hands, while their moral and intellectual status is declining, is about as useful as giving out firearms to all inmates of jail <laughs> and then saying that you hope this will ensue peace. Um, and elsewhere, he talks about he has this really brief line, which I find fascinating, in a letter to his editor from 1952, right after the British tested the first their first atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. He just talks about, he's kind of struggling to write at this point. He says, this charming house has become uninhabitable, unsleepable, and unworkable, and rocked, racked with noise, and drenched with fumes, such as modern life. Mordor in our midst. And I regret to note that the billowing cloud recently pictured did not mark the fall of Verdur, but was produced by its allies, or at least by persons who have decided to use the ring for their own, of course, most excellent purposes. Um, and he's talking about this first atomic bomb test. Interesting. Um, so I was thinking about that here with this like pursuit of this very particular mm-hmm. mineral, and it awakens this, you know, fairly world-destroying evil. Mm-hmm. Um, it wipes them out entirely. Uh, the dwarves and it threatens Lothlorien. Um, and obviously he talks about, you know, the A-bomb is the ring in that letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying it. Um, but I think, as we've mentioned in the past, like the ring just represents technology mm-hmm. more broadly. And we've talked about, right, the sort of ambivalent place of craft mm-hmm. in this whole, you know, both the Silmarillion and this book. And it's interesting that, you know, the dwarves in pursuit of this item that gives them wealth and power um, kind of awaken this firestorm um, I'm not, I don't want to over determine the relationship between two but I do think it is interesting that this also kind of pairs that in the way that the ring does too it's this thing that this coveted item that yeah awakens a kind of almost incomprehensible evil or force So that's my my wacky theory about Mithril. It's pretty... I like it. (laughs) Are you humoring me? No, it's an interesting theory. Um, And it's it's something that's surely coincidental. The uh, U.S. Air Force codename for Hiroshima planes was Silver Plate. Interesting. Yeah. That is coincidence. It is kind of of interesting. Well, and interesting, too, if we want to... I mean, you could draw that out further, maybe. Like, it's obvious that Mithril is a thing that people, besides the dwarves, did want. Uh Even though, clearly, after, you know, Durin and his friends got wrecked by the 
Balrog, right? They like like it's still people are still willing to risk, yeah. right? People are still willing to risk the the uh, this evil for the the product in the mines, right? Right, and it's been like kind of contained, but right, and like Balin. Really. It's it's unclear to me if like Balin knows that like knows the details of what oh, happened what in happened. Moria, right? Like the elves yeah. clearly right, the elves clearly have a clue. But they're not talking. The right. Elves, so. And so the dwarves are just like ignorant, I guess. I, guess. I, I, I Yeah, because there's like a it's like five hundred years between his expedition and when Durin yeah and this is kind of what this is kind of what drove a wedge between the elves and the dwarves was this this awakening of this great evil which is you know also interesting because it's not I mean not like the dwarves were it's not like the dwarves did it on purpose so I you know but I literally says that at one point but I do think that the elves sort of condemn the impulse that like that greedy impulse right that led to this happening but then they right like they still like mithril everyone is like marveling at frodo's little mithril shirt kind of a thing so yeah you know right i mean there does seem to be a condemnation of the dwarves out out of the mouth of legolas actually in the next chapter Mm mm-hmm well, all the elves are like... Yeah, but he has this particular line. I forget what it is. He and Gimli kind of have a little bit of a spat again. They've had it before. See, they're all spatting. Whose fault it is. Um, see, I marked it. Oh, it's... Okay, so it's right after Legolas sings that song. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, he's like, can't sing anymore. I've forgotten much. Uh, it's, it is a long and sad for it tells how sorrow came upon Lothlorien... Glory of the Blossom, when the dwarves awaken evil in the mountains. So the song, you know, blames the dwarves for everything mm-hmm. that happens. And Gimli says, but the dwarves did not make the evil. Mm-hmm. I said not so, yet evil came, answered Legolas sadly. Um, and then he talks about, you know, many of the elves left, they departed, they were apparently driven out. Um, and then some went to the ships, and so on and so forth. But, right, there's this t- long-standing tension between the so dwarves and the elves over this. Um, and Legolas is sort of, I didn't say so, is such a passive-aggressive, like, mm-hmm. I didn't say they made it. Right, but they woke it up. It. Uh, and then, yeah, and then later on, he talks about, you know, the people of the woods, so the wood elves. They didn't do, they did not delve in the ground like dwarves, nor built strong places of stone before the shadow came. So he's saying, like, all this stuff has just ruined this entire way of life that they, they mm-hmm. had before, right? Which was very, I guess, idenic, just kind of hanging out in the woods. So yeah, we're as beautiful as we're told, and as we start to see. Yeah, but then it's like, well, Legolas, what's what's worse—the evil you know or the evil you don't? Like, would you rather just have that still sleeping under the mountain, like waiting? I don't well, know. That, yeah, that right. For me, that's question, like the, right? that's like the big question is like, okay, yes, there was. Well, now there is no more. By this point in the book, it's kind oh, of a yeah. well. They don't know that the. Right, they don't know that the Balrog is defeated, but either way, right? Like, would you rather have that that not have been awakened and 
Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I personally uh, would think I'd rather know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Because I think I think Gandalf would, would probably say the opposite, right? There's some things that you just shouldn't wake up. <laughs> I think it's Gandalf's take. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting question, right? Like, is it safer to sort of have it there, but not... Like, is the Balrog just, like, slumbering? Like, what is it doing down there? Right, because then it just... Because then, I don't know, Gandalf, if you would say it'd be safer to leave it alone, then you're just, like, I think that negates your argument that you can't just throw the ring in the sea to, like, Mm. potentially put it off for, you know, a couple hundred thousand years or whatever. Right? You're just waiting for someone to come along and wake it up at some point in the future, so... Yeah, it's an interesting question. So it makes me think about the difference between like the Balrog and the Ring, and the different evils they maybe embody. Well, sure, because the Ring is like evil that can pass from per. The Ring has like the power to make yeah. a right a person do evil things, whereas the Balrog is just evil. It's gonna do evil things to you, <laughs> but it's not gonna right. make you. Yeah. It's not right. It's not gonna corrupt, right. It's not gonna corrupt you. It's just yeah. Um, and it's not going like to spread its it's not yeah right it's not going to yeah. spread its corruption mm-hmm. the way the ring would right um, i think like for the elves it, the the sticking point really seems to be now they're cut off mm-hmm. right it's not even that they have to like fight this evil or really even deal with it in any sort of specific way now they just can't get across Across the mountains. Mm-hmm. But they weren't right. going through Moria anyway. So I I don't know. Yeah, it's I know. It's just that it's close, I guess. Um, yeah. Now it's full of orcs, which I suppose is bad. Yeah. It seems like they're killing like random orc parties mm-hmm. in the woods. But yeah, it doesn't seem like a true threat either, though. Yeah. Right. They talk about how they like kill all of them, but yeah, a few. They're pretty sanguine about about the whole thing yeah um, so and, and yeah i don't know this might be tolkien too though right like he says over and over again like how evil always exists mm-hmm. um, and in one of the letters he talks about the bower as being like the embodiment of that like the right because it's present because right it's so old and it's so away. old yeah um, so i'm wondering if the elves are kind of maybe echoing his his view of things, right? Like you can never completely wipe evil out, but if you're kind of smart about it, you can you can tiptoe around it or something. Can, I don't yeah, know. just or like ignore it. it. Contained, yeah. Like it, the idea seems to be that it's like safely buried in the mountain, um, and and Gandalf's hope that maybe it's buried with Balin kind of maybe echoes that too. That mm-hmm. idea that like we can't destroy it completely, but hopefully we can just yeah yeah just trap it or keep it contained somehow, right? Which he um, does. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I agree though. It is it is strange and I don't quite know what to make of the elves sort of long standing dis- distaste for the dwarves because of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's something to do with too with like the origin of the Balrog as being this thing that is still somehow connected to the to the originary moment of Middle Earth's creation. I don't know. I don't either. Yeah, because right, it's yeah, it's it's different. Yeah, she so says it's different than the ring. 
mm-hmm. of people, but they're very different. And like, yeah. the ring is this created thing. So there's that element to it as well. Like the ring shouldn't exist, but maybe the Balrog like is allowed to because it's natural. Know. Yeah, I guess. I mean, truly, it's weird how it, how it seems to work that way. But like, there's this sense that a natural evil versus like a created one. Mm-hmm. The machine, right? Tolkien yeah, talks I mean, about right. that. Yeah, there's something about that. The idea of someone willfully creating mm-hmm. an evil object versus a thing that just is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to look for consistency, I think, sometimes. I agree. This question in Tolkien, because, you know, in Goli, it's a totally different kind of evil, mm-hmm. too. But I don't think he else would say that that evil is necessarily something that should exist. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's, there's these different degrees of how it, how it works. But I think that is a really interesting question to think about is like yeah why is the Balrog in some ways allowed to kind of potentially exist or as you said like is it why is it okay for that not to be for people not to be aware of it mm-hmm. right but yeah it seems seems kind of silly that the yeah like the elves are just like well you should have let it sleep yeah especially because it doesn't it's I mean it's not bothering anyone when the minds are empty like it just doesn't i don't know i don't know let it let sleeping balrogs lie (laughs) right i mean i don't yeah it's this idea too that the balrogs driven other evil things out by being awake because isn't that kind of the discussion about the kraken thing yeah out and maybe in response to the balrog yeah i don't know um i mean that would be the only way it would make sense for me that the balrog like is having a wider effect than just yeah, in the mines. Right, stomping through the mines. Mm-hmm, like waking other stuff up, I guess. Yeah. That is strange, though. But that's the only thing I could think of. But we don't really have a super explicit clarification of that. Nope. Which is typical, I think. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I like that question, though. Oh, good. Um, should we take a little break and sure. then come back and talk a little bit about La Florian? Yes. yes okay. We'll be back. You thought we'd leave you, but we came back. Mm-hmm. But now I need everyone to put your blindfolds on. That's right, because you can't see what's about to happen next. We're about to go into Lothlorien. <laughs> and uh, no one's allowed to see how you get there. That's right. Except for Legolas, and I guess is it Aragorn is also I don't know. Somebody else was allowed technically in that. They're gonna turn you around ten times and <laughs> push you. <laughs> push you. <laughs> um Yeah, so we are we go from the mines to Lothlorien to very different Mm-hmm. Different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and you brought up the really uh, important point, I think, that we are kind of repeatedly ta- told that Lothlorien is this place outside of time. Yes. So do you want to... You want to start say, there? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Unless there's somewhere you think makes more sense to start. Yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah, so like okay. Lothlorien is... I mean, we are literally told, like, this is a, this feels, I'll find it in the text, like, Frodo is like, huh, this feels like I'm not even in Middle-earth anymore. <laughs> um, 
they get to take their blindfolds off after a while. They do, yeah, eventually. Um, after all, all that fighting, they, <laughs> they finally just take them off. So Frodo gets to like walk around um, Karen Amroth. And, you know, it's very beautiful. There are a lot of beautiful trees and these golden flowers. And it's very sylvan. Um, and the, the, the text says, The others cast themselves down upon the fragrant grass, but Frodo stood a while, still lost in wonder. It seemed to him that he had stepped through a high window that looked on a vanished world. A light was upon it for which his language had no name. All that he saw was shapely, but the shapes seemed at once clear-cut as if they had been first conceived and drawn at the uncovering of his eyes, and ancient as if they had endured forever. He saw no color but those he knew, gold and white and blue and green, but they were fresh and poignant as if he had at that moment first perceived them and made for them names new and wonderful. In winter here, no heart could mourn for spring or summer. No blemish or sickness or deformity could be seen in anything that grew upon the earth. On the land of Lorien, there was no stain. So, perfect. It's like Duloc. It is a perfect place. Um, (laughs) Avalon. Yeah. 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 Valinor. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. He is like, he, right. He says he's, there's a light that his lang his his language has no word for and mm-hmm. that light certainly has to be like the light mimicking uh-huh. the mingling of the trees at you know noon or whatever in Valinor. Um, yeah, because right. that's not something that right a hobbit would have language for because that's not theirs, right? It's not their mythos. Um but yeah, like this. There's also earlier in the text, like the sun rising reminds Frodo of the summer sun, even though it's the middle of winter. Right here, mm-hmm. there's the like the um, text saying like no one mourns for spring or summer in the winter here. So like you know the seasons are kind of all jumbled up. The trees don't lose their leaves in the winter; they yeah. just turn golden. Um, so like. You know, it just not only does it feel very ancient, but it also doesn't seem to be following the like rules of uh, the seasons of Middle Earth. So it's out of it's like out of time in the sense that it feels old, but it's also like literally out of the rhythm of the natural world here. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts regarding all of all of this this. um like is this a good or a bad thing we're told in the text also that like Lothlorien is an island um and as we mentioned earlier like the elves are sort of stranded there because they can't get to the west because they can't cross the misty mountains um and even like when you know Pippin is like Oh yeah, the Grey Havens—they're near where our where yeah. like our little lives are. And Haldir's like, "Oh, tell me about them. I want to know." Like he's so excited to learn that like these this place actually exists. Um, but I'm curious to know, like, do you think it's 
good or bad that the these elves are living in this place that just like doesn't I almost want to say it doesn't exist on Middle Earth because it kind of doesn't. It like yeah. exists on like yeah. a like a bubble plane, right? <laughs> yeah, I think um, oddly enough, Sam expresses that the best when he says, uh, "I feel as if I was inside of a song." Mm-hmm. When he talks about being an offboard and this idea that yeah, it's similar that exists outside of not just history but like reality is the mm-hmm. understanding. Yeah. Um, and it's even different than, as you said, like the other elves they've encountered. Because Sam, before that, says, you know, I always thought of the elves as people, the moon and stars. But here, you know, the sun, it's, the sun's as bright as just a new day or something. So that's mm-hmm. idea, right, that they're even different from from the other elves we've encountered, Rivendell. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think how to, like, articulate if it's good or bad or not. Um, and maybe my like or neutral. My, yeah, I'm, I'm, my I'm, lawyer. My lawyer answer is a bit of both. Okay, yeah. Um, because it's clear that on some level, it's it is this holdover from almost from the moment of creation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something in that that is you know, appealing and comforting to them. Like after the, you know, the, the sort of defining moment they've just gone through is Gandalf's apparent death. Mm-hmm. And they're all grieving and they happen to come into Lothlorien and Lothlorien seems to ease that. Mm-hmm. Um, quite literally when they bathe in the river. Yeah, they have like a, um, they have like a baptism, right? Is they like cross, yep. right? They're like cleansed. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the river is described as cleansing of their hurts and mm-hmm. seems both physical and... Mm-hmm you know, emotional or mental or spiritual or however you want to talk about it, right? So there's this way in which, yeah, it exists in this, yeah, other plane of existence, really. Um, that, yeah, I don't know. It's something that is a, is kind of appealing, but also it's clear can't exist for much longer. Mm-hmm. There's this idea, right, that the kind of the, the borders are closing in. <laughs> Um, it's this shrinking world. We get a line too at one point about oh, where is it? I marked it in here. I forget who's talking. It's one of the elves, I think. I don't know if it's Haldir, maybe. Yeah, it is Haldir. He says, um, "Some there are among us who sing that the shadow will draw back and peace shall come again. Yet I do not believe that the world about us will ever be again as it was of old, or the light of the sun as it was aforetime." For the elves, I fear it will prove a best of truce in which they may pass the sea unhindered and leave Middle-earth forever. Alas, for Lothlorien that I love, it would be a poor life in a land where no Malarn grew. But if there are Malarn trees beyond the great sea, none ever poured of it. Um, so it's this place that... It's almost a way in which it's just like... Its persistence is kind of unnatural, too. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like, it's mm-hmm. not supposed to be... It's this weird bubble, yeah, that's not supposed to exist, but somehow does. And, and I, don't I know if, like, oh, go ahead. Maybe we'll, no, I was gonna say, I don't know if maybe when we get to the next chapter, we have a sense of some of what's preserving it. Yeah, we will. I mean, but, I mean but here we don't really yet. Right. They just kind of say it's the power of the lady, I think, at one point, but 
Uh, oh, do they actually go that? Far? Okay, I couldn't remember if they actually said. Yeah, that. I'm pretty sure near the end of the chapter, there's. I don't. I don't think that's like the exact. Uh, okay, because they do word. talk about having a secret or special powers. Yes, they talk about. Um, so this is at the very end when Haldir kind of takes them up to the like top of the um mm-hmm. like flat, and he Frodo mm-hmm. can kind of see across like the region. Um. And he says, in the midst, in the midst upon a stony height stands gold, dull Goldur, uh, where long the hidden enemy had his dwelling. We fear that now it is inhabited again and with power sevenfold. A black cloud lies often over it of late. In this place, you, you may see the two powers that are opposed to one another and ever they strive now in thought. But whereas the light perceives the very heart of the darkness, its own secret has not been discovered. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah, and there's another point too where it, it talks about like the sun that's that's on Lothlorien can't light beyond it. Mm-hmm. Either. So it's it's really strange. Like it does seem to exist on an entirely different time scale or Yeah. And it says, okay, so this I, I did found find the thing okay. I was looking for where you said like we don't know what like is causing this. So this is right after Sam says he feels like he's inside a song and Haldir says, you feel the power of the lady of the glad dream. Uh, would it please you to climb with me up Siren, Karen Amroth? So he does he say like, okay, it's obviously um, little girdle of Melian vibes. Mm-hmm. And, and like, um, yeah, definitely girdle of Melian. I think I'm glad you read that quote um about Haldir saying, you know, I don't I haven't heard about any um melorn trees growing right in the west because I do think because I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing that Lothlorien is so isolated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess gut reaction is like it's a bad thing because isolationism is never a great uh <laughs> isolationism is never a great political strategy however i do think you know like the beauty of lothlorien is something that should be preserved and if its isolation is sustaining that then Mm -hmm. you know but i also but i also think it's a like a sad and bad thing for the elves who live there because it's such an approximation of valinor um and such a like ideal place for them to live in Middle Earth, it makes them. They want to go west, but also they obviously don't. Like Haldir's very curious about the Havens, but then he's also like, I'd be sad to leave yeah. the Malorn trees, and nobody has said if they grow over the sea. Yeah. Right? So it like it's like they're kind of attached to this like earthly paradise. And it distracts them from, I guess, what would be like the heavenly paradise of the elves in Valinor. And they can't see that, right? Like, that's obviously the ideal. (laughs) And also, it's like kind of the same as Lothlorien. (laughs) Right. But they're so removed from everything. I guess they don't know that, right? I mean, they they don't seem to have any kind of... Yeah, I, I like what you said. The trees are important to this whole thing. Uh huh. Um, because even Frodo gets a sense of it. Yeah. We're told um, when he's climbing up the when he's about to climb up the tree, he puts his hand on the bark, 
uh, and it says, you know, never before had he been so suddenly and so keenly aware of the feel and texture of a tree's skin and of the life within it. He felt a delight in wood and the touch of it, neither as forester nor as carpenter. It was the delight of the living tree itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, right, there's this way in which Laborian, too, like nature is just hyper-present mm-hmm. in a way that we have never seen up to this point. And that seems to be the source of this delight, right? And Fred Oak is given a, a fractional glimpse, I think, of what this place means to Haldir, right? Like, why? Mm-hmm. It's like, if there's no mountain trees, like, it's going to be, what's that going to be like? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's such this, yeah, it's such this living presence for them. And, and Frodo's only getting, I think, a glimpse of that feeling. Like, there's this way, right, which in which they're kind of all tied together, the elves and, and the trees. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's this, like, symbiotic relationship with them that they can't imagine another way of existing. Right. And um, uh, for anyone who hasn't read this, the trees are all silver and gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bark. Yeah. <laughs> so we get a lot of tree imagery. Galadriel's mm-hmm. worked really hard to make this. And I I don't know if we... Do we know this, but they seem less interested in the sea than all the other elves we've encountered. Like, they're intrigued by it, but they seem less drawn to it. Yeah, and I don't know if that's just because they can't go. Like, they know they can't get there. But I also think that it's like they're really happy in their little yeah. you know mm-hmm. their little hamlet mm-hmm. i've also i'm also thinking now since of we read that last like paragraph about you know there's the two powers striving against each other mm-hmm. and like the darkness right the light understands the darkness i'm thinking of that um get real biblical like probably the only bible verse that i know <laughs> <laughs> is the the light shines in the darkness but the darkness like does not overcome it or depending on translations yeah. it's like does not comprehend it right the light that's like okay Tolkien like he had to have thought be, yeah. been thinking of John 1 5 here because it's basically the same sort of right the the light is Lothlorien and they're constantly describing how it's surrounded by shadow and then it understands the kind of modus operandi of those shadows but the darkness can't comprehend kind of the power of mm-hmm. Lothlorien which is Galadriel and her ring yeah. but because it's offline <laughs> yeah uh, Sauron can't can't breach that can't breach it yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's very much like god rays coming down on Lothlorien mm-hmm. around it being kind of cloudy yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It is it is kind of a tough question. It's a. I think I guess ultimately I would say it's it's a little bit of both, just a cop out. But <laughs> I think we're meant to see it as something good that also can't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. If that yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. No, that's kind of where I where I was yeah. gonna go if you didn't. Yeah, it's just like it. It is a good thing, but it's it's so out of time mm-hmm. that it is like this anachronism that doesn't really fit. Right, she said, like it's kind of paralyzed the elves that are there. Right, and it highlights the like fading certainly yeah. of the elves oh, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. Right, even just kind of the setting, like the fact, even though you know the trees 
are like leafing in winter or whatever, there's still there are some trees that are bare, right? They're there at a time of year where the the um you know the woods itself is sort of fading. And so it it feels a little like, you know, old and beautiful, but maybe also a little dusty, which is kind of how we feel about we've talked about like, that's kind of the sense we get from the elves, too, is like, they just don't have real agency in this world anymore. And like Galadriel can control the beauty of Lothlorien, but she really doesn't have much influence outside of it. Um anymore yeah 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 their their continued sort of existence is it's a it's a it's a defensive mm-hmm. it's weird like they're not yeah as you said they're not really having an effect outside the world anymore um, it's all in this these increasingly shrinking pockets of space mm-hmm. like rivendell and here even more so here though yeah And we'll see more. I mean, we've got a whole yeah, like another chapter, I think we'll... chapter to in chapter two to discuss more about kind of Lothlorien and its strange power. I think there will be something interesting to look at between Galadriel and Elrond in those mm-hmm. chapters. Well, I'm looking at Lothlorien and Rivendell. I exactly, think is yeah. right. These are... the two the two kind of locales, yeah. right? Um, right. I mean, in Tolkien, in this chapter, does he? he makes a point to contrast Lothlorien with Rivendell. Um, as like, at least Rivendell is kind of a place that people are coming and going from. Whereas Lothlorien is a place that's just sort of stagnant. Yeah. Right. Rivendell is recognizably still part of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is very much somewhere else. Right. Right. <laughs> or sometime else. Sometime else. I mean, I do think Sam hits the nail on the head. Yeah. Without, you know, Without knowing it. Sam gets real... Sam's starting to get annoying in these chapters. He's just, like, following where he's not invited. Oh, yeah. All the time. No one really says anything about it, though. Nope. Nobody says anything about it. I guess he's just... uh, They're like, oh, that's your slave, Frodo. Yes, he's welcome. (laughs) Yeah, fine. (laughs) Your servant. Oh, you have him on a leash? Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's why Sam's always looking for rope. Yeah. Um, uh, well, on that note, <laughs> they are coming. We cannot get out. We cannot get out. Uh, until next time. <laughs> we'll be back with uh, two more chapters. So, the Mirror of Gladrill, and the, then leading La- Departure from Lothlorien. I forget what the name of the chapter is. The chapter after that when they leave. Yep. Um, They get some treats and uh, they. Farewell to Lorien. They get some treats, they blow a kiss, and they say, See ya! (laughs) Deuces. They get in some boats. They do. Anyway, thanks for listening. As always, if you have any questions or concerns, reach out to us, as always. If you're digging a pit, stop. That's right. The, let this be a cautionary tale for you. Don't try to dig to China. Right. You can't. It's getting warmer. Stop digging. And you will dig up a Balrog. So, consider that your friendly advice from us, your two favorite podcast co-hosts. Mm-hmm.
please be safe from Balrogs and any other evil things until we meet again. And if you are going to dig in your yard, call the gas company first. That's actually the most important. Because <laughs> that's the modern equivalent of waking up Balrog. Yeah, that's correct. Make sure you call Miss Dig. Yeah, Miss Dig. <laughs> or you go crazy with your ditch witch. Uh, uh, all right, yeah, everyone. So until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.